So welcome back to our podcast series, Podcast Overseas. This is Elaine Lee, one of the co-hosts of Podcast Overseas, and you are listening to our second podcast episode. So for today's episode, we are going to be delving into the topic of the model minority myth. So today we have a very special guest speaker. His name is Joseph Lagunes, as we will have the opportunity to hear more about his perspective and experiences in regards to the model minority myth. So before we get started, I would like to take a moment to say thank you for taking the time to be here with us today. So on behalf of the Southeast Asian Student Association Executive Board, we are so honored to have you here to be part of our newly launched podcast series. So without further ado, let's get, let's get this podcast started. Hello, everybody. Ethan Chan here again, your other co-host for Podcast Overseas, and I would like to introduce Joseph Lagunas. Joseph, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Yes. Um, my name is Joseph Labagno Lagunas. I am a third-year PhD student in the Comparative Literature Department. My general research interest really looks at Philippine history and literature, and I also serve as a scholar-in-resident student mentor at the UCI Dream Center. Wow, that's very, very impressive. I'm sure you have a lot on your plate, considering you're a PhD candidate. It's okay. <laughs> that's awesome. So let's move forward. What is your role here at UC Irvine? My role here at UC Irvine? Uh, well, first is basically a student, a PhD student. Um, second, I'm a teaching assistant Um for this year, I'm a student, a uh, teaching assistant for the Asian American Studies Department. And, and right now, at this quarter, I'm a teaching assistant for Dr. Fujita Rani's um, Asian American Histories class. I see. That's, that's wonderful to hear. I love the fact that you're taking time out of your day to really help teach the next generation of students and learners and really educate them in what um, Asian American history is when it comes to the full picture of it. Um, so I'm going to start off with asking you this question. But first off, I'm going to read you a definition uh, of the question. So researching this, the topic for this episode, the model minority myth, I stumbled upon um, a website called uh, Teaching Tolerance. And for those of you who don't know what Teaching Tolerance is, it is a almost 30-year project created by the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is a um, organization that is a nonprofit and deals with a lot of civil rights and dismantling white supremacy and anti-blackness throughout the <clears throat> without the country. And so they had this article that they published last year um, about what the model minority myth was. And I'm going to paraphrase uh, the intro of that, um, that the myth characterizes Asian Americans as a polite law-abiding group who have achieved a higher level of success than the general population through some combination of innate talent and pull yourself up by your bootstraps immigrant striving. So with that definition or kind of generalization of what the model minority myth is, Joseph, what is your definition of it? And how does it tie back into the course that you facilitate here at UCI? Hmm. Uh, broadly speaking, I think that that's kind of how I would also define the model minority myth. So it's about minority minorities who have already made it, right? Someone who's assimilated to the United States by virtue of 
um, success, you know, as close to the American dream as possible. And uh, really, at its core, I think, I really believe that um, it's about Asian Americans being apolitical beings, meaning that the only thing that Asian Americans think about, the only thing that Asian Americans think about is work and work and work and the achievements that follow it. So in in total, I think it's a really difficult model to follow and measure yourself against um, if you're Asian American. Um, in terms of what I teach, um, what I help um, Dr. Fujita Rani teach, um, part of really the necessity of Asian American histories is for everyone to understand everyone's histories and struggles. And in understanding that history and struggle, we can understand that different ethnic groups within our larger community face different difficulties um, in the face of model minority myth. And yeah. And it really naturalizes this idea that, um, you know, Asian Americans are highly successful because of their culture. They have certain set, you know, sets of beliefs. You know, again, they're hardworking. They're smarter than other people, and it's. I think it's really. Um, it's not a helpful way to model one's own self. Right. Absolutely. That that was a wonderful answer. Um, personally speaking, as um, as an Asian American and a first generation Asian American born here. Um, in California, I definitely feel like that whole idea of the model minority myth has kind of molded me into who I am today as a college student. And it, the fact that there is this stereotype that that myth to live up to this certain, I guess you could say standard that not that you hold yourself to, but like society. And then the fact that society kind of dictates how your family thinks and how you think as a whole really just encapsulates what you try to learn as as a as a student here in the US because I didn't really put a high emphasis on like societal like understanding what society was all the little like nooks and crannies of what like intersectionality was until I really started to kind of think about what did it really mean for me to be an Asian American here in the United States did I perpetuate the model minority myth, or did I really support it when I was going into STEM here at UCI? Yeah, I would like to open the floor up to our SASA board members. Does anyone want to take, uh, give us maybe how you would interpret the definition of model minority myth? Does it apply to your life, or how do you personally interpret it in your personal lives? Um, hi, I can answer this question. So my name is Kaylin Hoy, and I serve as one of the retention coordinators for SASA. Um, so I guess one of the ways that the model minority plays into my life personally is, or the way that I see the myth, is that Asians are, um, I guess, set up for success in American society, that we are um, in more close proximity towards whiteness Therefore, we can achieve more than other minorities. And um, the way that this plays into my life, it sort of like applies a certain pressure for me to be successful for my family. And um, like when I think about this, it honestly makes me feel a little bit down and like kind of 
puts this um, thought of like hopelessness that I need to be able to pull my family out of poverty, that I need to try and be successful so that my, my parents can have a better life. And it honestly ignores like the different um, the different barriers that are um, that block away Asian Americans. And we don't we're oh sorry for all these pauses by the way. But um I guess while there may be um certain privileges that come with being Asian American, um that doesn't ignore the or that doesn't like ignore the fact that we're still not in a lot of places of power and a lot of Asian Americans need to be in places or we need power in order to rise up and empower, like empower our community, and to really break that barrier of the model minority myth. Yes, thank you so much for sharing, Kaylin. I know it takes a lot to be vulnerable and to share your experiences. So I am really proud that you took this initiative to share. Um, I really do resonate with your story. It's maybe a privilege to be seen as Asian American, but at the same time, it is this constant burden that is just on our shoulders all the time. Sometimes we often don't recognize it just because it's been there for such a long time. I know in high school for me, I didn't recognize this burden that I had on my shoulders and that it was constantly weighing me down in terms of having to succeed and just being successful for my parents just because they did so much for me because they immigrated over here with nothing and that expectation for me to just constantly do well. I thought it was just my personality actually to always want to like work hard and be successful but I think a part of it was me not recognizing that it was a part of my culture also and it's because of this model minority myth essentially um I remember the first time I learned about the model minority myth it was during my first year in college and it was part of um one of the workshops that I went to um for a high school outreach program. So I was a mentor for this high school outreach program, but it was actually the first time I've been introduced to this idea. And I think my mind kind of exploded. I was just like, everything just has to make sense. You know, like I never realized on how much this myth, it was kind of like, finally, someone gave me a concept or a term in a way to make me realize that this is what I have been experiencing this entire time, but I haven't been able to put the words into what I'm feeling. Um, so in a way, it was kind of relieving when I realized that there are other people like me who are experiencing um, this type of burden and constant feeling of hopelessness sometimes when they always feel like they need to be driven. They need to always be successful. They need to be on top, but yet we are never, we're often never given the opportunity to be on top despite always them saying like oh yeah like you guys are successful you guys are Asians you guys are smart you should be in the STEM field and stuff like that but yet we're never actually given the opportunity to get up there so I thought it was kind of ironic in a way to kind of learn all about that so anyways does anyone else would like to um, add on to that um, or we can uh, move on to the next question all right, so let's move forward. Um, so Joseph, what would you say is the effects of the model minority myth for the C community? Uh, I think, you know, when I was looking at this question, I was trying to figure out kind of what, you know, personal kind of um, anecdotes I had. And I remember this um, 
this experience I had in high school, which was a long while ago, uh, in my chemistry class. Um, look, I'm, to preface, I'm not really a chemistry person. That's why I'm in comparative literature. I do literature stuff because I, I, that's just not who I am, right? So my teacher in chemistry um, would have this Jeopardy, um, Jeopardy, um, Jeopardy quizzes as an exercise for um, ionic compounds, I believe it was, and kind of chemical chemical formulas. And it just so happens that I was decent in memorization and I was okay when it comes to basic arithmetic. So I was actually really fast when it comes to doing those things. And the teacher decided that I can only participate in the Jeopardy game, not as a competitor, right? But actually as the person who checks if my classmates' answers were correct. So I was right in front at the board in the corner of class, kind of checking kind of, yes, you're right, you're wrong, you're right, you're wrong. So back then I was like, yeah, you know, I'm smart. You know, that's, that's pretty cool. But really it's just a function of memorization and basic arithmetic. And in a way it was... It was such a weird thing for me thinking about it now that because of my quote unquote achievement, I was separated from my peers, right? I was, I was completely, um, and in a way I felt like I was made to discipline my own peers and classmates in their own learning. And it was such an, it's an odd thing to look back at now. And also, I do remember that, you know, once you're up on the board and you're the one correcting everyone's mistakes or everyone's answers, suddenly there's pressure on you to deliver, right? You have to prove to your teacher. And I had to prove to my chemistry teacher that I was as smart as he thought I was, right? And at the same time, I was also made into this instrument um, that basically um, just checks things it, it was such a it's, it, it's such a weird thing to think about now so really what I wanted to kind of mention um, because of that um, anecdote is just the pressure constant pressure of students to succeed in the face of model minority myth right because um, it's really burdensome and really um, when it comes to that pressure to succeed you internalize it right you pathologize it sometimes like if you didn't succeed, or you kind of failed, um, you didn't reach the expectation that was put forth on you, then suddenly there's something wrong with you. Oh my God, what's wrong with me? I should probably, you know, um, I need to fix this on my own. Am I Asian American if I'm not succeeding, as the model minority myth says? And uh, yeah, it's really interesting. And, you know, when we laugh about glib things like, you know, What's that meme? The high expectation Asian dad meme? Um, you know, we laugh at those things, but I think the fact that it became a thing really shows how relatable those high expectations are to the Asian American community, but also that how non-AAPIs, um, non-AAPIs believe and enjoy that meme because its premise is believed to be a truism, right? That, you know, Asian American dads are always, you know, always disciplining you, telling you to do better. You're supposed to be Asian, not Bijan. And those are things that are 
difficult to live up to as a student. I think one thing personally that um, everybody, not only in Salsa, but across the different um, uh, multicultural organizations who um, hold some semblance within that whole model of minority myth mixed together is this um, the idea of the overbearing parent, or as more commonly known as the tiger mom or tiger dad, that type of deal. And I think it's, um, it is, uh, as Joseph said, pretty, pretty glib to um, think about and understand how funny it is because everybody knows about this myth about the overbearing Asian mom or dad who's stereotypically dressed unfashionable and super strict in terms of what they allow their child to do in terms of their career and social life. But I think when it comes down to it, as times are changing throughout, um, like especially in American society right now, I think we're starting to see kind of a shift uh, in terms of how that model minority myth is being perceived instead of being perceived as like a, a lighthearted poke at the educational endeavors parents put out on their children. It's now the, I guess you could say like the emotional and in a way kind of like sociological like mindset that they're putting in on their children to be not as nearly empathetic when it comes down to a lot of things and more or less analytical when it comes to approaching not only what they want to do in their career, but how they perceive what's going on in, a, in the world around them. Yeah, for me, I think it is such a negative effect to just place all Asians into this concept of model minority myth. As you know, there are so many different communities and to put all types of Asian communities from, you know, like East Asian, Southeast Asian, South Asian into just solely one concept of just, you know, you're Asian and you're expected to do well, you're smart, you're great at math, you can do STEM and all these stereotypes. It really does affect those Asian, those minority um, communities um, within the Asian community, you know, um, some, a lot of our communities like don't have the opportunity to have access to these resources, you know, um, you know, often when you think of like the Asian minority, people think of just East Asian because they're so smart. Um, they are so capable. Um, and they're usually like the international students that are wandering around our campuses, you know, and they are, um, they have a large access to money. That means they have large access to resources, but that disregards to so many other minority Asian communities that aren't often talked about, like the Hmong community. And often even for me, like within the Vietnamese community, a lot of people are living in poverty counties that don't have access to basic needs, like um, basic housing to basic, like, they don't even have access to good school districts. So how can you expect Asians to kind of rise up if they live in those communities? You know, it just puts into this mindset. I know a lot of people say, oh, you know what, like all Asians are the same, you know, because you guys look the same. That's not true. You know, that kind of puts us, that kind of makes me think back like at the, the model minority myth. It's like, 
they put us into like a whole puddle of just all types of Asians from East Asians, Southeast Asians, uh, South Asians, all types of Asians into just one puddle that you guys are great when that is not the reality of it. And that all of us within our different identities, whether you identify as Vietnamese American or Cambodian American or Hmong American, any types of Asian American, uh, we all have our unique circumstances, our unique struggles, and our unique successes. You know, we may be great in one thing, but also we may not be great in one thing. Um, and we may struggle on some things that we often aren't talking about, but to just kind of place us into that, it really puts a negative effect on those communities who don't have access to the basic resources they need to um, not only survive, but also to thrive um, from it. Does anyone um, within SASA board want to uh, you know, express some intake, some opinions in terms of any effects that you see that are happening within the Asian community due to the model minority myth? Um, I, I can add to it. Um, I'm Michelle Long. I'm one of the HSL coordinators for SASA. So I agree with what Elaine and Joseph and Ethan said, where the Mono-minority restricts us to almost one path all the time, where it affects not only how society perceives us, but how we perceive ourselves and how our family expects us to be based off of like past information and conversation. How for Asian Americans, the only way you can be successful is if you go to college. That there is no other way for you to be successful unless you go to college. And if you don't, you're a failure. And where, as everyone mentioned with STEM, if you don't do STEM, what are you going to do? They see, they think that Asians should only go into STEM and that they, it, they can't fathom the thought that some Asians, a lot of Asians are interested in things other than STEM, who are good at things other than STEM and want to pursue fields in that career. They expect us, everyone expects us to stick to what they think we're good at, to what we should be, to always be in STEM. And if we're any in any other field, it's weird and it's uncommon. And they're like, oh, wow, you're, you're not like the usual Asians I see where, oh, I, I thought you'd be in math or I thought you'd major in science when they don't even get to know you and see that you don't enjoy that and you want to pursue something else. But it's just even hard to voice the fact that you want to pursue something other than STEM fields because it seems like you're not going on the path that's expected of you and you're just disappointing people, even people you don't know. You're somehow disappointing them just because they're you're not fit, fitting their expectations. You know? Yes, Michelle, thank you so much for sharing. Um, based on what you said, it just kind of made me remember once I was studying at a cafe, I was studying at Seven Lee's Cafe. Uh, this is prior COVID, of course, not during now, but um, it was a year ago and I was sitting, um, studying and this person next to me like all of a sudden just tapped on my shoulder and be like hey what are you studying you know I was like oh I'm studying for a marketing class and somehow within the conversation he kind of asked for me like oh like what's your major what do you do and I was like oh I am a uh, business administration major and a, a psychology major uh, with the minor in Asian American studies and he looked at me so baffled he's just like you know like if you didn't tell me what your major was and you made me guess, I would have totally guessed that you were in the biological sciences major. And I was like, obviously I knew where he was going with this, but I, would, I still asked anyways, like, 
oh, really? Why would you think that? And he goes, you know, because you're Asian, you know? And it was just like, you knew where this is headed. I still asked anyways to just kind of like confirm. And it was so baffling to me because it was just like, we are so much more capable and than just doing STEM. And he asked me like, why didn't, why didn't I do STEM? He just kind of just kept stabbing at me. Like, just why didn't you do STEM? Did you like, like, do you not feel like you're fitting? And it was just, you know, part of me was quite offended. Um, it was just like, why do you keep going at it? Like I have my own passions and things like that. But I still took that opportunity to have that hard conversation. And I told him, I'm going to be solely honest. I am very great at math, but I just am not great at biology. I just never understood it in high school. I struggled so much in it. And what I realized is that I have a great talent for um, business in terms of management, in terms of networking with people, understanding um, and things like that. And just kind of just explaining my passion. And what I'm trying to say is that often we need to have these hard conversations. It's not to kind of automatically shut down. I could have taken that opportunity to just be like, stop talking to me. You're a complete stranger. And um, say like, you know, like I'm not taking this time to just, I don't know, stop studying for my final to give you this conversation. But sometimes we need to, take a step back and realize that there are people out there who sees us this way and we need to have this hard conversation and just to, you know, give them that additional resource, additional stories and to show them that, yes, I may be Asian, but no, I am not in STEM and here's why. And maybe you'll find other people out there who will um, share. So for them to just take a moment to reflect and be like, wow, Asians are not going to be like they are unique individuals that have their unique passions and things like that. And for them to take a moment and be like, I am next time when I ask someone that question, maybe it's someone that looks similar to me that they would listen and stop to think before they just go straight to a path like, oh, because they're Asian, they're going to go straight to STEM. All right. Does anyone else would like to share? Um, I would like to share. Oh. Okay. Of course. So, <laughs> Go ahead. Um, okay. So my name is Jessica, and I'm one of the high school outreach um, coordinators for Sasa. And being a a background story of me is like I didn't really grow up in the U.S., and so I only started living here like three years ago. And to be honest, I wasn't very knowledgeable about what a uh, model minority is and so I guess like like before I knew what it was about I was very I guess um, I just didn't acknowledge it much but now that I know more of it and um, I know what it is about I can definitely recall like a lot of circumstances uh, circumstances that um where people, I guess, put a lot of pressure on me just because I'm a bio major. And so um, there are times when they ask me, like when I tell them my major, and then they always ask me like, oh, are you going to be a doctor? Or um, have you taken the MCAT and stuff? And then so when they ask me like, am I in the pre-med route? And when I say, I don't know yet, um, I feel like they, those people who ask me kind of like judge me and like wonder why I'm not 
doing the pre-med route when I'm a bio major and when I guess I'm an Asian. And then, so um, I could definitely feel the disappointment from like these people that like barely even know me. And then especially like recently um, during the Zoom breakouts, because we're all like um, doing online classes now. And when we introduce ourselves and I say that I'm a bio major, especially during the MCAT season. So they would ask me like, oh, have you taken the MCAT yet? Um, and then in my head, like when I say like, no, I'm not a pre-med they just like stay quiet and like in that silence I just feel like I guess so bad I guess for not taking the MCAT even though I'm not like passionate about that route and I guess um what I'm trying to say is that like I could only like imagine how the communities who have um less resources than I do like how much pressure they feel out of like other people who expect so much from them and so yeah I feel like everybody has really just kind of dug really deep within themselves and revealed like a very how do I put this like a very sensitive and vulnerable part when it comes to identifying who we are um because in my mind, we're not just Asian Americans, you know, we have so many different roles and different hats we wear, you know, I'm the oldest of three in my family and the oldest of 11 grandchildren on both sides of my family, that type of deal. I'm a farm tech, I'm a friend, I'm a significant other to another person in my life, you know, like, there's a lot of different things that encapsulate each of us individually. And I believe that when many individuals who stumble upon things that they don't know, per se, things that they aren't very knowledgeable in, or people that they don't very, that they know very well, they tend to categorize them. Because something that is foreign to you, try and you try and try your best to really relate that thing into something that you hold similar. So going back to what Joseph kind of said about those memes. Uh, about like the overbearing tiger dad and whatnot. If that's the only media and if that's the only medium that you're exposed to, and then you see an actual Asian American for the first time, granted, I hope that hasn't been the case for many individuals. Um, then you, there's always that thing in the back of your mind that's relating or trying to relate that meme to that person you see in front of you. When in reality, that's 100% not the case. Like, this segues into my next question, uh, Joseph, is do you believe the myth of the model minority can be dismantled within the Asian community? Or would there have to be extrinsic factors to break it down? Because I feel like the people who perpetuate or try and spread this myth the most off is the older generation, you know our parents, maybe even our grandparents, sometimes um, even younger aunts and uncles who have been, uh, I don't want to say brainwashed, but almost molded into being a part of this myth throughout the U.S. 
Well, I think um, there's something valuable with what Elaine just mentioned a while ago, which was kind of talking back, right? Um, kind of informing other um, folks that, you know, there are other ways of being. And as everyone is saying, it's not just, you know, not just STEM or um, any other normative type of um, kinds of success, but also we should probably, as you're mentioning, even sometimes our parents and our, you know, our grandparents are the ones kind of forcing us towards this model minority myth. So having kind of difficult conversations with your parents, um, with your family, when it is possible and when it is safe um, is definitely something that we should be doing. I mean, me as a Filipino who studies literature, my mom's like, why aren't you a doctor or a nurse? Like my grandma told me, why do you want to study writing? You, you can just write. There's no need to go to college for that. You know, go become an engineer, go do this thing. My sister is doing her PhD in, um, biomedical engineering at UC Merced. And my mom still tells her, so are you, do you want to be a nurse? Even though she's already pursuing, you know, something else, even then, you know, things like that don't kind of just go away. It's something you talk about with your community, you know, with your family first, right? But really it's kind of a way, something that you have to think about for yourself, I suppose, because I think really central when it comes to Asian American, the, I mean, the model minority myth is about individual success, right? You go to school, you succeed in school, you get a good job, you make a lot of money, and then you maybe run a successful business, maybe you have a family, right? All these kind of normative forms of success that are buttressed by this idea of the American dream, right? And Protestant work ethic, right? And I think, I wonder if we allow ourselves and others to develop and reimagine different ways of success, we can try to decenter you know, this normative success of the uh, model minority, that it no longer becomes a model, right? So, and part of the work is to um, basically not perpetuate, right, the myth of the model minority and really allow ourselves different avenues to pursue and define success in our own terms. I definitely think that that's a wonderful answer, first and foremost. Um, something that probably can relate to that is the idea of the American dream, where we are in a time now where it's a pretty unprecedented time to really expect to earn like a seven-figure salary and work only 20 hours a week. And then we have like the white picket fans with like the dog, three kids, so on and so forth, 401ks. but um, I talked about this a lot um, earlier this summer in my um, my uh, another Asian M series course called um, uh, Asian American Stories, taught by Professor James Lee, and we were on the topic of kind of reconfiguring what the a what the Asian American American dream was, and obviously I think the broader dream for um, many Asian Americans, especially. Um, first-generation Asian Americans and their immigrant parents is that 
is to work hard, make money, and then hopefully save up enough money for your kids to become richer, repeat the cycle, get a better education, so on and so forth. Well, I feel like those times are changing to where us youth are becoming more and more aware of what we want to do in terms of being happy. And it may not even be monetary wealth or like getting married or settling down, but to find that that energy to where when you wake up and you go to your your profession or your job, you don't feel like it's a job. You enjoy working. You don't want to wake up every morning dreading that you have to go to work and whatnot. And so kind of bouncing off of that, it's the whole idea of um, doing what we want that makes us happy and trying to find the time, energy, and Honestly, the right words to tell our parents that, hey, mom, hey, dad, I'm not going to become a doctor. I'm not going to become an engineer, dentist, so on and so forth. The list of stereotypical professions for um, Asian Americans to follow. But I want to do this, something that I really like and whatnot. And I really hope that, you know, granted, I have a little brother and little sister who are um, not even in high school yet, but I hope that they of course study hard but also find what they want to do with their lives something meaningful that they want to do not just something that my parents push them to you know be a part of all right thank you so much for sharing all right so to move forward um could you share with us some resources or novels um, for our listeners that are listening in today for the podcast to educate themselves on the harmful effects of the model minority? Um, so both of these recommendations really come from Dr. Julia Lee's Asian American Communities class uh, here at UCI um, last year. Um, first is Jennifer Lee and Min Zhao's book, the Asian American Achievement Paradox. Um, that might be a good starting point. It's really a book that looks at the mechanisms that account for Asian American success, which then bolsters the model minority myth, right? Um, it has a particular focus on Chinese and Vietnamese Americans. So that might be interesting, an interesting starting point. And in terms of novel, this was also in Dr. Julia Lee's class, um, is Chemistry by Wakey Wang. So it's about a Chinese-American PhD student and basically all the pressures of success that are kind of upon her. She basically just detaches herself from, from it and try to, um, try to figure out her own way in the world without the, without the pressures of the PhD program, the pressures that her parents, um, that her Chinese immigrant parents are placing on her and even pressures, romantic pressures of having a heteronormative family, like being married and settling down. So I think those two things might be a good starting point. Do y'all have any kind of um, resources or something that you might want to share as well? Because I'd be interested too. Kind of what brought you into education in terms of model minority? I think probably the coursework for my um, my Asian Am 54 class this summer. Um, a lot of those books, um, one of them written by Carlos Bulasan, I think I'm 
hopefully pronouncing that correctly. Um, it was more or less the um, not so much perpetuating like model minority myth, but um, the the very 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 strong prejudice um, overtaking all a lot of America when there was an influx of immigrants from the Philippines uh, during the early 20th century, I believe. Um, that was one of the books that probably propelled me into thinking more into this idea of model minority. Like, how did that drastic shift go from, oh, I don't want these people here to, oh, these are the people you should aspire to be because of the of interest of intrinsic or extrinsic factors beyond their control, that type of deal. Um, I think another one was probably uh, a book written called Southland. It was a book published, I think, er in the early 2000s, and it revolves around kind of like a, a crime noir drama. And it does delve really heavily into the... Um, the time during the LA riots, um, during the sixties and also the nineties, where um, there's a lot of racial strife as well as a lot of um, injustice happening within that part of the country, and how did Asian Americans find themselves um, either on the sidelines or entangled in that whole um, conflict? Does anyone else have any resources they would like to share? It doesn't have to be novel-based. It could be certain organizations or certain maybe workshops or maybe a particular Asian M class if anyone has taken any um, that has heavily resonated with you or helped you um, learn more about the myth, essentially. Um, I have taken a few Asian M classes. Um, I just recently added my minor, though. I took it before solely as a GE. Um, so, but anyways, I took, um, I've taken 50 and 51 as uh, so a lower div, and I've, I am currently taking three upper div um, Asian American classes. I wouldn't say that's my finest choice in taking three at the same time in a quarter, but um, I am taking South Asian class. I'm taking a Bollywood films class. I am also taking an Asian American women's class. So um, within those classes, we get to talk a lot about the patriarchy, uh, patriarchy system that um, exists within um, Asian American culture and how it often limits our voices. And um, I don't know how to essentially tie it to the model minority myth, but in a way, I guess it does limit our voices to, to being tied to this concept and where we don't get to kind of express our own passions and our own unique roles uh, within society. We're just kind of confined into having to be a certain type of person, you know, um, that kind of is re very relevant in all Asian American classes. It's just us learning that we are more than just the role that we that people define us in, you know, um, I think my very first Asian American class, it was kind of the first time getting to learn more about my identity, because as you know, in high school, you're, you're often trapped into a lot of history courses that are uh, mainly written in the white 
perspective. You know, it's written in terms of the United States perspective on how they interpreted certain wars um, and things like that. And you don't really have an opportunity to hear more about the narratives and the stories that are more relevant to who you are. You know, um, so having that experience is if you, if anyone who is listening have the time to just, you don't need to take a lot. You don't need to be a minor. You don't need to be a major. Just maybe solely out of your interest of just learning more. It doesn't have to be just solely about the model minority myth. Just solely one class can really open your mind to so many different dimensions and so many different um, things that are happening within our community. And one class can give you that resource, you know, um, to just open so many doors outside of that. So if anyone has the time, I really do recommend just taking any Asian American classes, whether it be lower div. Um, I particularly don't think you need to take a lower div in order to take an upper div class. If like you have a certain class level for that, just because I know with upper division classes, I actually had a more enjoyable time because they're very specific. Um, as I was saying, the classes that I'm taking, it's like one is solely about Asian American women where you get to hear more about the narratives um, in terms of, women that is often limited within um, Asian history, you know, so if anyone has that time and opportunity, any time within their four years in undergrad, I do really recommend to just take one class to see how it goes to learn more um, about the things that are happening within our community. I just wanted to point out that I'm actually enrolled in Asian American Studies 50 and Joseph is actually the TA for my section. And right now we're actually learning about the model minority myth and how it's associated with the Amer um, America and the Cold War. So um, we were just studying how um, the model minority myth was perpetuated through um, certain Chinese figures during this time. And I would really recommend this class. It's with Dr. Vegeta Rani. And um, I think it was actually Sasa that really pushed me to enroll in Asian, in Asian American Studies course and really learn more about um, Asian American culture. That's wonderful to hear, Kaylin and Elaine. Thank you guys so much for sharing. Um, Joseph, our last question right now um, for this podcast is, what words of wisdom do you have for our, gener for our future generations of Asian American youth? You know, like there's always going to be um, the next class at UC Irvine. Um, for that first-generation college student, particularly coming from a C's background or just API background in general, um, and them trying to figure out their path, um, not only in terms of their career, but possibly through, you know, determining their identity. And that whole problem or that situational battle, that internal conflict could very well be have been started, you know, when they were in elementary school or even middle school. Um, well, as also a first gen, um, you know, as a first gen immigrant, I guess technically a 1.5 um, immigrant who's in academia, I guess one advice I would, or wisdom that I would kind of mention is really to forgive yourself for falling short of normative success. I think um, we should allow that to ourselves and to others, you know, because as has been mentioned throughout this podcast is that there are many different 
barriers, you know, for our success and really allowing yourself the space to kind of figure out what is success to you is very, very important. Um, next, as has also mentioned, been mentioned here, is take an ethnic studies course class, take an African-American class, take an um, Asian-American studies class, Chicano, Latino, um, you know, Native American studies, because I think really knowing these diverse histories, this, these different histories and the struggles of different communities really allow you to kind of think about your own position within the United States, um, which really leads to the actual advice and kind of wisdom here is really to that realizing that all of our struggles are intertwined. I mean, part of the use of the model minority is anti-Blackness, right? When it comes to you know, seeing that the Japanese Americans have succeeded suddenly points to um, um, Black folks and Latinos for their quote-unquote lack of success, right? So really understanding that it crosses, these, um, these things cross um, different groups is really important. And I think one way to do something to keep in mind is to empower yourself and empower your community and really empower other communities. Um, I think there's a lot to be gained by doing that, you know, success, you know, changing the, the, the definition of success from personal success, educational success, financial success, whatever, into success towards liberation from different forms and mechanisms of oppression that different groups face. I think that's really something to, you know, think about, um, you know, and lastly, I just think, you know, I just want to mention that I know and I understand and I believe that I myself, I was built by different communities. And I'd like to think that I'm actually giving back to communities, not just taking and really having this kind of communal way of being um, really might be something. And I think, you know, what y'all do here at Sasa is really amazing because it allows a form of community and understanding between each other. So keep it up. Thank you, Joseph. I, I really appreciate it. Um, I think first and foremost, Salsa is trying to do its best in fostering a community where uh, we are empowering um, the youth and the Asian American community, not only here at UCI, but in the greater OC area with our research, I'm sorry, not research, our, um, our retention, and our um, high school programs that we aim to really give a voice and give that spotlight and understanding to each individual who does identify within um, whether community they identify in to make sure that they know and they know how to define their own success and want to further keep succeeding in the field that they choose to pursue. But um, Thank you, Joseph. I really appreciate you coming here uh, on the podcast this Sunday. Uh, I know you're probably knee-deep in grading a lot of uh, students' posts and whatnot on Canvas, so I really appreciate it. I also want to give a shout-out to Kaylin for bringing her TA on here. Um, big, big thank you to you. You saved this podcast. Um, but 
With that being said, I think this concludes uh, the second episode of Podcast Overseas. Uh, Thank you guys so much for coming. And this is Podcast Overseas signing off. Bye-bye.